Welcome back. It is Monday, October 2nd, 2023, and you're listening to episode 172 of the Can I Say Something podcast. I'm your host and recluse with a juicy caboose, Damien. Joining me today is Derek McDuff. On today's show, spooky season 2023 is officially upon us. So, of course, we have to talk about Saw X, the Philippa Brothers possession horror talk to me classic 1978 The Omen. But before that, we'll be discussing the tentative agreement between the WGA and the AMPTP, go over some what we've been watching, reading, and listening to, and in anticipation of Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon releasing on October 20th on Apple TV and in theaters, we'll be counting down our top five favorite Martin Scorsese films right into case, can I say something, podcast at gmail.com. Bicycle on Twitter, subscribe on Pocket Cast, Google Podcasts, Spotify, rate and review it on Apple Podcasts. Hello, friend, family member, or stranger. What's up, man? How you doing? I am doing well. It's a, it's a nice Sunday night that we're recording, so I was just yeah. watching uh, the Chiefs dismantle the Jets, uh, and, you know, the announcers just won't <laughs> stop talking about fucking Taylor Swift. And if I hear yeah. one more goddamn blank space joke... Oh, since Aaron Rodgers went down, it looks like the Chiefs have had a, or the Jets have had a blank space on the quarterback. <laughs> was, oh, Travis Kelsey found a yeah. real blank space and yeah. got it, slipped in for a touchdown. Like, like they're, they're winning 17 to a blank space. Like, I stop. Just stop. <laughs> it's hot. Well, yeah. the, now we're in the Zach Wilson era. And like, stop. <laughs> stop. If somebody fumbles, are they like, it's, he's the problem. It's him. <laughs> 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 I'm sure. I'm sure. I've heard. Uh, like somebody was like, uh, "Travis just shook, shook, shook it in there for a touch." Uh, like it's every uh, shook, everyone shook, you shook can imagine. It's it's just they're oh. they're, they're nonstop. They're but for every like she's literally the shot as going to commercial break every time. Just cuts to her and she's like, "Look at me, look at me, <laughs> look at me." Yeah, they're breaking down how she was like swearing in front of his mother, and they're like, "You can't, you can't do that. You just met the woman. You can't be swearing." Going off like a crazy girl. Yeah, no, I'm sure she doesn't care, but it's just like, and then somebody, I saw so many, like my, my entire TikTok feed has been Travis Kelsey. Who is Travis Kelsey? Travis Kelsey really put Taylor Swift on the map and then they did the vice versa for the women. Um, I saw like two guys talking about, they're like, so how long does the relationship last? And the other guy was doing the bit of like, I don't really know anything about Taylor Swift, but the uh, median, I've seen the, I, th- yeah. I think I sent you that. <laughs> Did you? Yeah. This, the, I the, median, the median uh, relationship time for Taylor Swift has been on average about six weeks. So what's, what's week nine? Oh, that's the Dolphins. That's not a good time to be broken up with. <laughs> it's just all ridiculous yeah. shit like they're that. like oh they're like oh but like it's been her boyfriends have been fine after that it's just like yeah sure except for you know john mayer and jake gyllenhaal and and it's just yeah. going down the list yeah yeah Jeez. what happened to, what happened to john mayer he hasn't smiled since 2009 <laughs> very funny 
Yeah, Jesus Christ, amazing. She, yeah, Taylor, Taylor Swift is going to be a billionaire very soon. This would be like I saw another one, which is like, or do we hate do we hate all billionaires or just men? Do we hate billionaires that just like you know get their winnings from or get get their money from uh, um, exploitative labor practices? So does Taylor Swift do that? Like, how do we how do we feel about Taylor Swift being a billionaire? It was like going around a lot this week. I'm like, I don't really care. Yeah, no, I mean, I don't like Taylor Swift at all. And yeah, yeah it makes sense. She's nobody who's a good person gets becomes a billionaire. So. Yeah, true. I mean, what was I going to say? Like, um, a lot of stuff comes from like, how much money has she made? Has she made, ha, mm-hmm. has she like brought in a billion dollars versus has, does she like pay out her employees? Well, like you can, you can have like a, uh, you know, a business, what are they, not a business year, what do they call that? Uh, um, the, the year in business, like the, the fiscal. Fiscal year, thank you. So, like, you know, how much has she made that much money? Has she made a billion dollars in a fiscal year? But then she got, but then she has expenses too. So it's like, eh, the difference between having a billion dollars in the bank and having a billion dollars of revenue is very, very different, you know? Yeah, either way, still don't think she's a great person. Uh, <laughs> no, it's like, it's like, no, uh, I will, no, no, I don't think, I don't know. She's like probably the best billionaire. Like, if we had to pick, like, if we had to rank billionaires by best to, to worst, I'd say she's probably pretty up there. Fairly high up there. Okay, that's like being like, well, who is who is who is the coolest serial war killer? Criminal. Yeah, who's the best war criminal? Right. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so anyway, speaking about billionaires and the WPTP, uh, the Writers Guild mm. um, has found you know a tentative deal with the with the AMTPT. Um, uh, I try to look through some of this stuff, but it's I listened to a bunch of podcasts this week about it. And basically, they got a lot of the stuff they were asking for. I heard um, Adam yeah. Conover on the uh, the town this week on that podcast talking about their uh, stuff they wanted. Uh, they didn't get everything they wanted, obviously, and they had to meet somewhere in the middle. But it um, does sound like they got a lot of what they asked for, correct? Yeah, like there was some stuff that uh, they, you know, didn't really get uh, stuff with the like deals about writing. Mini rooms aren't gone, although they did. Uh, get a lot of um, things they wanted in the, uh, you know, with regards to the mini rooms. Um, but the big things uh, they went on, uh, which would be AI uh, and um, uh, um, and residuals from streaming. Uh, those were the two really big things. Uh, and they just completely went on both those fronts. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's pretty good. I mean, it's one of those things where, you can make the deal that they'll just like, <laughs> you know, back the AMTPT would you be like, eh, yeah, but what are you going to do? We're going to do this anyway. You know, the, <laughs> making a law and enforcing that law are two different, two very different things, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, it is going to be one of those things that is tough to regulate. And we know that, yes. especially with, you know, companies like Disney, uh, they will rip, as we've seen, they will rip off just like other multi-million dollar companies. So they will probably rip off, you know, just yeah. some writer, um, yeah. you know, like there's the whole MS. Uh, what's it? The, the what's the company where they shoot the arrow through the bunch of the, the axes? They oh, are suing yeah. Disney. Yeah. Um, uh, so <laughs> it's a, there's a lot of that going on. So um, yeah. but, you know, it, it is it is important that they have these things in place. I was just actually uh, I was uh, listening to something last night. And I got to hear um, the guy who was the screenwriter for Age of Adeline uh, was talking a little bit. And he talked about how he was like, yeah, my movie was number two on Netflix. And I saw zero dollars from that. Yeah. 
Yeah, they were talking about, you know, they 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 they, they know the numbers and mm-hmm. either I think we've said this before, but like exposing uh, exposing the numbers or showing the numbers um will either mean that they have a lot of viewers and they need to shell out mm-hmm. a lot of money or it's going to be the opposite and they have a lot less viewers than they are making out to seem they that they have which will you know look badly upon them but, but then also be like all right see see we don't have <laughs> this high amount yeah. of numbers so we based on what we just negotiated guess what 10 percent of zero is still zero you know or whatever it is yeah, yeah right? well they don't have to because it's uh, they so, uh, as i understand it's if 20 percent of the viewers that are signed up for a particular service of a certain size watches a watches something then that will kick in and get the writers residuals uh they only have to share that with the writers uh they do not have to share any of those numbers with the general public yeah sure yeah they said like three or four people from each guild can sort of take a peek at the numbers um yeah at a certain time so yeah it'll be interesting we still have to see what the um what the actors guild is going to do moving on from here but uh, yeah, at least at least they have some some progress here. It's always mm-hmm. nice to see. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So you know, good yeah. for the writers. Uh, just huge, huge win, and I think it's a huge win for you know, um, you know, workers just yes. in general. Yeah. Uh, you know, against these huge evil corporations. Um, and yeah, because this is the writers did not get anything close to this in two thousand eight. They basically had to lose. They basically lost uh, after a hundred days. Uh, one of one writer uh, went on record saying they probably wouldn't have made it to 105, but this time there was a lot more support behind them yeah. from both the general public and you know the rest of Hollywood. Obviously, the actors went on strike as well. They are still on strike, um, so hopefully the actors will get a win as well. Um, and I'm thinking with what happened with the writers, uh, it's looking good for the actors as well. Yeah, then just like you said, generally speaking, broadly speaking, in this country, there's seeing way more um, union. Um, mm-hmm. you know, solidarity and union yeah. formations um, that we have in the past few decades. So that's always, I think we'll see like a, you know, ripple effect uh, throughout a lot of different industries, hopefully uh, yeah. in the coming years. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, yes, yes. So moving on, uh, one uh, notable death this week was uh, Michael Gambon, Gam- Gambon uh, was died this Gambon, week. Yeah. Gambon uh, died at the age of 82. Um, was it was an Irish actor. Um, just looking over some of his credits that people might know him from. Uh, he obviously replaced Richard Harris um, in 2002 in the Harry Potter films playing uh, Dumbledore. In that, um, he was in a couple of Wes Anderson films, The Life Aquatic with Steve Zizou and Fantastic Mr. S- uh, Fox and uh, The King's Speech. Uh, he was in that as well. He was in The Insider. I saw that just recently. The Michael Mann from, from 1999. So, uh, yeah, one, one, of the, one of the great, you know, sort of, not not necessarily leading man, but definitely uh, you know character character actor. I would say, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's he's uh, he was I I'm you know I liked him a lot in um, you know I wasn't a, I don't think he was great in the Harry Potter films, but I think he was really good in pretty much everything else that I saw him in. I remember he was like it was him and then the woman who played the headmistress of uh, the French school in Harry Potter, and they were just like this random couple that. Denzel Washington ran into in Book of Eli. I just like I always think of him with that role when I think of him. Such a random thing, but he was so good in it. Yes, yes, exactly. So yeah, uh, rip, uh, rest in peace, Mister uh, Mister Gimbin. Um, so let's mm. get to some of what we've been watching, listening to, and reading this week. 
finally went and uh, read the Hunger Games, listened to the Hunger Games <laughs> audiobooks yeah. this week. Um, I know I texted you and you were like, yeah, I saw the first one in theater 10 times. Uh, I did, yeah. You, you did. So it's safe to say you're quite a fan of the Hunger Games books and movies. Have you seen, have you read the books? I have read the books. I've read yep. the books multiple times over, uh, except for the most recent one, which I have not read since it came out right when the pandemic was starting and came out in March 2020. Um, so I haven't reread it since then. But yep. yeah, I am a very, very big fan of those books by Suzanne Collins and the film adaptations as well, for the most part. Yeah, nice. I, I yeah, I watched uh, the three of them in pretty quick succession, read all three books, um, one after the other. Um, you know, I had quite a few thoughts, but didn't write them down. So we'll see how many I pull out right now. Um, <laughs> they are, it's very, very interesting to watch these movies for the first time 10 years on because uh, Jennifer Lawrence has obviously gone on to show a wide ranging um, skill, a range, wide range of acting chops uh, over the past 10 years, specifically being very, very funny. And I think this role doesn't allow her to sort of show those things, um, even though that, that's the role that, that, you know, she calls that it calls for. Um, watching it 10 years on, it, it's, it's interesting to see this kind of both sides is bad mentality that I think she wrote. So the uh, uh, Susan Collins wrote these books during the Bush administration, during the Iraq war. She said they were, you know, they, they, they were this um, combination of watching the Iraq war on TV and also watching reality shows. So that's sort of where the genesis of that idea came from. And I think you know, having somebody in the middle of that conflict and they're looking around and saying, you know, nobody's really has my best interest in heart. Nobody has people's best interest, best interest in heart. And I think largely to a large degree, that is true. But I think um, it doesn't land the same way it probably did 10 to 15 years ago, just because of the political climate we're in now, where it's very much, uh, you know, the, the, the lines in the sand are very much drawn more distinctly now than they were probably 10 to 15 years ago in terms of like, you know what the what the what the Republican Party has become. So that's sort of like you know her being her being played by both sides and them sort of saying that both sides are bad or doesn't kind of hits a lot different than it did uh, back then. Um, so yeah, I'm just curious what your sort of thoughts on that are. I think that maybe it's not as directly allegorical as you're making it out to be Yeah, like it, you know, definitely was influenced by the Bush administration, but it's more like, this is a cycle that we keep getting into of just war and revolution. And then revolution is either defeated or succeeds. And then something slips into tyranny again. And uh, you know, that just kind of cycle that repeats itself over and over again. And I think if anything uh, we've seen that again, you know, like, it's just like, okay, well, you know, Bush was quote unquote defeated. You know, we had the great years of Obama, you know, at least the, that's how we thought we were going yeah. into at the time. And then we slipped yeah. even further into Trumpism and stuff like that. And, you know, it's just like, okay, well, you know, it's just, there's, there's always, there's always going to be just bad actors on both sides. And it's like, yeah, they are fighting for this revolution. And, you know, I, I, I don't know. I don't want to spoil anything, but, uh, you know, just the you find you find out, especially that's why Mockingjay is my favorite one, because the first two are very much like, well, the capital is is completely evil and, you know, they're awful. And, uh, you know, that's and then what there might be a spark of a revolution. Uh, and then once you start to see the inner workings of the revolution in the third book, you start to realize that, oh, no, these people who are, you know, financing this revolution and trying to topple this. 
uh, evil leader are not doing it for the most altruistic reasons. Uh, and the person, and it, you know, there are certain people who are just looking for power as well, who are willing to do unspeakable things. And I think I just love that conversation that Katniss has with President Snow near the end of the the third book uh, slash the fourth movie. Yeah. Um, so I, yeah, I'm I'm a very big fan of these. I'm. YA stuff is kind of hit or miss for me. Uh, this is by far my fi- favorite YA thing. I think that, you know, uh, post-apocalypse stuff that's in the YA genre can be a little tired, um, but I think a lot of it is cribbing off the Hunger Games success, and it's by no means the first to do it. Yeah. Um, you know, people who are, you know, every every lazy uh, re- film critic has been like, it's Battle Royale, blah, 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 blah. And it's yeah. like, okay, well, there's definitely uh similarities there but you know you could say well battle royale is just the running man and the running man is just this you know (laughs) it's it's you know there's there's definitely going to be some similarities but i think that uh it is hunger games is a really nuanced and interesting story about power and then the way it ends just like well maybe humanity has finally learned their lesson i don't know if they have but i really hope they have It, it kind of ends on that bittersweet hopeful note um yeah. that i really that i really love yeah these are both said i think it's um if anybody's interested in seeing like um something's very very similar now i'm thinking about it it is very similar to uh little drummer girl uh book written by um john le carré i think back in the 80s um essentially uh about a woman who gets caught up between the israeli and palestinian conflict and has to like play this role of somebody that's you know just an actress that just wants to sort of do like, you know, humanitarian work there, but she's um, secretly working for the MI, MI5 and uh, also the KGB is getting in there as well. Um, so it's a very interesting sort of uh, comparison point to that. Um, this is very cool. Um, let's see. So moving on. Uh, Saw X, Saw 10 <laughs> debuted this week. So uh, Saw X, your seatbelts. Saw X, your seatbelts. Saw 10, these nuts, something like that. <laughs> um, I've seen most of them. I think I've seen like up to six. I, I I think I stopped there. So I haven't seen like, what is it? The Spiral Book of Saw. I haven't seen Saw 3D. <laughs> I haven't seen whatever came after that. Um, but this is a prequel. This brings back John Kramer. This brings back, uh, spoiler alert for this movie, bring back Shawnee Smith, reprising her role as Amanda in the series. Um, this is getting a lot of very good reviews around, um, I think definitely deserves it. I think it's a really interesting, like sort of examination of what, what they were doing at the beginning and these sort of differences that Shawnee Smith and Tobin Bell have, their, their characters have when it comes to why they're doing what they're doing. Um, so yeah, really in, very, uh, I'll say inventive, uh, deaths and, um, uh, you know, game, games that they play with these with these uh, criminals. Um, very interesting criminals. Very interesting uh, setup for this movie. I won't spoil it too much, but um, it's it's yeah. just. Go ahead. <laughs> I was just saying, you can, I don't care if you spoil okay. it. I I'm never gonna. I've never seen a saw movie. I never am going to see a saw movie. Oh, okay. So do you have you just the whole um, torture porn genre is not a, not a thing you engage with at all. I mean, if it's it's just I don't know. Like it just seems like like torture porn for the sake of torture porn, you know, like, like it just, you know, like they've talked about on blank check, how they're just taking what seven did and just making it more graphic and less interesting in my opinion, but go on. Yeah. I would mostly agree with that. Um, so this is between the second and third film. 
John Kramer is still looking for a cure for his first uh, terminal cancer. He, he hears about somebody that was cured of stage four lung cancer. So we asked him, where'd you go? What happened? He's like, oh, I went, to, went down to Mexico because it's not an FDA approved treatment plan. So Kramer goes down to uh, Mexico to get the treatment. Um, they don't do anything. Basically, they had like a tape playing of a brain surgery in the background that he saw. Um, so he thought he was getting, you know, the, the tumor sucked out and was given a treatment of uh, just a cocktail of, of basically just, you know, uh, placebos and stuff. So they didn't do anything for him. So then he takes all of those people that, that were involved in that and, and then puts them in a room and just has them <laughs> get murdered uh, one, after, one after the other. Um, I so I won't describe anything what happens, but it is very, it, it's nasty, gross, disgusting stuff. Um, my theater definitely <laughs> reacted in the appropriate way. Um, I saw it open <laughs> night with a big crowd and everyone was just like, just squeezing and uh, wincing at every, at all these moments. Um, what was I going to say about it? It's yeah. I mean, it does sort of have this um, self-awareness to it, I think, because uh, Shawnee Smith, Amanda is saying to, she's like standing, standing by as John is explaining what's going to happen in the game and all of that. And then the, the victim is like, no, I don't want to do this. You're sick. You're gross. And she's like, yeah, I've heard that before. <laughs> then John was like, um, he says something. And then the guy's like, what are you talking about? And Amanda was like, it's a metaphor. He does that a lot. Um, and they have like a third party come in at one point and was like, he was like, these people ripped me off too. I want, I just want my money back. I'll get out of here. Wait, what are you guys doing? And, he, and John explains what's happening. He's like, you guys are fucking, you guys are fucked up. <laughs> so it's like, it does have this sort of self-awareness yeah. that, that I can imagine wasn't there at the beginning that sort of, um, adds an extra layer to it. Um, so yeah, if you like the movies, go watch it. It's one of the best ones I've seen. Uh, a lot of people are ranking it up there. It's like in the top third of the Saw movie. So if you like those, then uh, definitely check it out. Yeah. And yeah. it's not even like I'm squeamish or anything. It's just like, I don't know. Like if that's the whole thing is just torture porn, then. Yeah. I'd, yeah. That's the majority of it. It's the, the other thing about it is it doesn't, it doesn't actually uh, get to the torture stuff until about an hour in. There is one like sort of, um, rug pull they do where it's like a torture scene but then it pulls back and it re reveals that it was just in john's head also the, the other thing man like this <laughs> the first one was like you know two dudes in a room chained to a radiator they have to ha have to ha they have to uh hack their their legs off and another one was like you know the woman gets like a reverse reverse bear trap on her face you've probably seen that one um there is so many elaborate traps in this movie i have to imagine i tweeted this out but it was like i have to imagine like he had to get like subcontractors in here to like build out a bunch of his traps. And I just imagine them going like, so this, uh, this like heating vent, is going to like go up in intensity to like 4,000 degrees and you're going to have somebody hanging in front of it and they're going to get a burn. He's like, yeah, it's about it. Okay. All right. Yeah. No, I was just wondering because <laughs> it's fucking weird. All right. Let's get <laughs> it's just like, cause there's so much shit in this like one factory. That's just like, there's no way a dying like 80 year old man and a woman did all of this. It's insane. Just, it's just, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so anyways, uh, spooky season is upon us. You watch one of my favorite, I would say one or two of my, is, is it, it's in the one or two spot of my favorite, favorite horror movies of all time. The, the Blair Witch. Oh. I had an incredible uh, watching experience when I watched this when I was like 13 or 14. Tell me about your experience watching The Blair Witch for the first time. Yeah, so I like I, like, I didn't even put this in the doc. You looked at my letterbox and, and found this in the world. <laughs> uh, but yeah, because um, I'd never seen this before. And the reason I actually watched it is because I 
Um, for Spooky Season on my podcast, Underrated, I uh, am, it's coming out next episode. So, uh, yeah, in two weeks, I talked about Deadstream. And I was like, well, watching Deadstream, I'm like, I can clearly see that this movie is very much influenced by Blair Witch and a lot of the other found footage movies, but particularly Blair Witch. It's basically, I don't know if you've seen Deadstream, but it's Blair Witch for the internet streaming age. Uh, so I was like, I probably should actually watch Blair Witch before I record this podcast. And I did. And, uh, you know, it even starts out with a uh, callback to it, um, to Blair Witch. And yeah, I uh, so I threw it on. You know, it's 80 minutes long. It's a lot of I, I looked at it and I was like really cute. Before I watched, I like looked on Letterboxd and I feel like everyone either gave it like five stars, or, like one star. Like yeah. there was not a lot of in between. <laughs> uh yeah. And I feel like, weirdly enough, I fell kind of in between because I like I get both arguments. I get like, wow, this this is like revolutionary change horror, like, you know, the way that it's it's the exact opposite of Saw because Saw is all about showing you every single thing. Uh, and this is like you, you what you don't see is scary. Um, but then there's also people who are like, it's just three idiots in the <laughs> woods who don't know how to read a map. Yeah. And I'm like. I was like, yeah, I kind of understand both of those arguments. So I kind yeah. of fell in the middle yeah. uh, a little bit. Um, I also like have recurring dreams all the time where I'm trying to go somewhere hmm. and I should be able to know where I'm going. And then when I get there, I'm like, wait, I'm just back where I started. How did this happen? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so like that was a little bit like, oh, that was a little bit weird when I saw that on, the, on a movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. Overall, I, I I enjoyed it, but it's even I even I was like 80 minutes long and I was like, Man, I, I'm glad this movie was that late because I don't know how much more of this I could I could do. I could don't know how much more. Where's the map? You had the map on you. Oh yeah, just why are we still filming? I don't know. Why are we still filming? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you always have to take the leap of logic, right? With these found footage yeah. movies, like why is there somebody still filming? Um, yeah. Did you get any feelings about getting? Did you get any Skidmark feelings from this movie? Uh, a little bit. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think things happened in this movie, though. Okay. All like, right. people, there was dialogue uh, in this movie. <laughs> people discuss things. Uh, you actually understand what, like, they, they, there is exposition. They tell you what the Blair Witch is. Uh huh. Uh -huh. And, um, there, yeah, things happen. It's not just, <laughs> it's like, uh, you know, it, Damien, I got, there's another movie that I got to recommend to you if you like uh -huh. Skin and Marine. Have you ever heard of Paint Drying? A ten-hour-long <laughs> movie where it's just a point, a camera pointed at a wall yeah. and paint dries. I think right. you might fans of Skin and Marink, yeah. check that one out. It'll okay. scare you. Okay. <laughs> um, a couple of things about this. Uh, it is one of those like like Endgame, like a lot of movies that sort of come out and have like a zeitgeisty moment. Um, do you know the story about like how this came out in, originally in theaters? Yeah, it was it was the thing of like it kind of a uh, uh, built up a reputation and you know people thought it was real and then it kept yes. getting into more and more and more and more theaters yes and it was so, the pre-internet it was like the it early was. internet so yes. like you couldn't be like siri is this real like or you could <laughs> just be like blair witch it would just be like yeah well, there it's like one of the it's like the same thing as like the fucking truck in pokemon like you would hear like oh my god they really did it. like on the school ground they really shot this movie it's all real sorry the my uncle my uncle did no, the truck there's the truck there's a truck in people know what i'm talking about there's a truck behind like if you go out so you're going onto the ssn you see there's like a truck 
that's oh. just like a random piece of scenery. Okay. And there's a rumor if you like get behind that truck and use strength, that's where Mew is hiding. It's oh. like that. And the, the <laughs> kids are like, my uncle works in Nintendo. He told me he's the one who told me, you know, <laughs> and this is like, yeah, my uncle, he he, he was he shot the yeah. film or he fat was the guy who like found the film. He works at you know, Warner Brothers. He knows, you know, same kind of bullshit, you know, and you, it's 1999. So you had no way of verifying these facts. Yeah. So couple things <laughs> it was it was 99 it was pre-internet but it was also pre like 9-11 so i feel like post 9-11 mm-hmm. this movie comes out and they're like yeah people die we don't know it's so like you would be you would be brought up on terrorism charges of like have <laughs> if you're not, <laughs> not telling anybody what happened to these actors so they did not do any press for the movie with the actors and they were like well we're not sure we're not we're not sure what happened to huh. them we just found this tape and we're gonna bring it to sundance and we're gonna have everybody watch this and you, I think I've heard people talk about going to that uh, Sundance in, in 99 and that was the only thing people were talking about a little bit of the matrix mm-hmm. too, but this is the only thing people were talking about of like who made this, how much money did they spend on it? Where are the actors? What actually happened? So I watched this. I don't know if I ever told you the story. Like I watched this not in theaters, but when it came into HBO, I was probably like 13 or 14. Again, not a lot of internet. You couldn't look this up. So I watched not just this movie, but they had a documentary come on before about like the history of the Blair Witch and the history of um, mm-hmm. the history of the area. So they do this whole um, faux documentary about how back in the 1600s, there was this old lady, old lady living in a, in a cabin in the woods and kids were scared of her. Then they eventually ran out of town. Kids go missing. They send a search party. Search party goes missing. They send another search party. They find not the kids, but the original search party strung up by their intestines, blah, blah, blah. Weird shit happens. Cut to, then they cut to the movie. Then they, that documentary ends. They cut to the movie. So I'm already like, holy shit! Is what is that? Is that real? <laughs> yeah. Did that really happen? So then you watch the movie, and this is the first found footage movie I've ever seen. Never heard of found footage. I'm like, what? Mm-hmm. What is this? Shaky cam, not great dialogue. They do. They interview people at the beginning. So I'm like, okay, are those people real? Did was there a script? <laughs> was that scripted? What is going on? Then you get farther and farther into the movie, and you're just like what was in the woods was there actually something there so they use that like they use that holy shit i just saw something yeah i did too there's probably nothing there but they made you think there was something there um and so that part got me and then of course the end with the mike mike and her screaming you see the guy in the corner then the, the thing dropped and just like what did i just watch what did i just watch this fucking crazy mom mom and so that really really got me i think that first experience really mm-hmm. stuck in my head and um so there, there's that. And I just want to ask you, like, talking about the Mike Mike part, Tar comes out last year. And because I've watched uh, I, knew, movie, I knew you were going to say this. Yes. <laughs> I watched the you movie. and your hyper fixation on a, the audio clip in Tar. <laughs> I watch this movie almost every year, almost every year for Halloween. So I was very keened into that, that specific Mike, Mike, Mike. And I heard that at in Tar. And I was like, that's weird. <laughs> that's that's the exact same. Mike from Blair Witch. That's very odd. So did you like, sort of think about that and go like, oh, that's where that stream is from? No, I didn't. No, of course not. Because <laughs> you're not as mentally deranged as I am. No, <laughs> that's good. That's a good sign. That's your Roman Empire. <laughs> that's my Roman Empire. Exactly. So what you it's said the, you gave the, it. A, the fact that Blair Witch was in dark. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you, you came away thinking, what, three, three out of five, three and a half out of five? Somewhere yeah, that. yeah, something like that. Yeah, I, I don't think I rated it on Letterboxd. I was like, you know, whatever. Yeah, it's about that. Yeah. And then you also watch a Deadstream, which, like you said, is like the 2022 version of 
of Lair Witch. What would you think of this? I really enjoyed it. Um, I thought this was such a interesting commentary on the modern world and the way that, you know, like you couldn't make Blair Witch today, obviously, with, you know, because of all the cell phones and things that people have. But you could. And it's like, well, what if you did? And how would it be? And it would be Deadstream. And I, I it was a lot. It's always a lot funnier than Blair Witch. But I really enjoyed this movie. Um, you know, it's a Shutter original. Uh, it was uh, brought to me by my guest, Jason Kleberg. So, um, you know, who of the Force 5 podcast. So him and I go into it uh, a bunch on that episode. So, uh, you know, I, yeah, I, I really enjoyed Deadstream. Just a whip smart commentary on, you know, the influencers and these people out there like Miranda Sings and all the and PewDiePie <laughs> who are like terrible people who are YouTubers who get canceled and yeah. have to do these horrible elaborate stunts. Like, I, I really loved it. Nice. Very cool. Yeah, I, I liked it as well. Uh, one of those I just sort of put on last year um, for Halloween. Mm. Yeah. Um, if you like that one, check out this one called Gun Giant Haunted Asylum. It is a Korean movie from 2018. Mm. Um, it is sort of that. Um, not. It's not necessarily like Blair Witch, but it's like, you know, haunted ha- haunted uh, building, uh, you know, faux documentary. Um, they have a lot of like, each person has their own camera on them. They have like their own GoPro on them. So you'll see like, you know, blocks just like in a Twitch stream of like blocks of each person's sort mm-hmm. of point of view. So you can sort of like choose which one you're looking at. It is very cool. I highly, highly recommend that one. I'm not sure okay. I'll have to where check it's streaming right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, let's see. So you watched those two. Um, I watched a movie on the new hotness on Hulu called No One Will Save You. It is directed uh, by Brian Duffield. I'm trying to see what else he's on. Uh, writing includes writing credits include Love and Monsters, Underwater. Watch Underwater. That was a very good um, sort of underwater, underground um, movie, horror, like horror-ish movie, but more like monster movie with uh, uh, Kirsten Dunst from 2020. Hmm. Um, also wrote on the Babysitter. So this is uh, one of the one of the big ones that came out this week. They talked about it on the filmcast this week. It had it stars. Um, Caitlin Deaver from Booksmart, like her a lot in that. Um, and it is essentially just like it has it has a um, what would you call it? Like a bit to it where there's almost no dialogue, zero dialogue in this movie, which is I thought was interesting. But they could have sort of they could have just not done that <laughs> or or done huh. very a lot less of it because there's there's these parts where she's interacting. She's in public and she goes to like a, um, a police station uh, to try to report what's happening. and they, somebody just spits at her and somebody somebody else just says nothing to her. And it's just like, okay, somebody would have said something there. But overall, I think it works really well because she's living by herself. She seems like a very, um, you know, agoraphobic person. Seems like she has a lot of trauma going on. So I think that worked very well to her favor. Um, I think the effects work pretty well. Um, some stuff I was like, ooh, that didn't look great. But for the most part, a lot of great practical effects, great special effects, um, a lot of great, like, uh, you know, horror elements. I think it's a, it's a, it's I'm trying to think of what um, like an alien movie that's like horror oriented. I've heard of like the fourth kind is one of those. It's a very scary alien movie. Um, this is, you know, just a, just a very simple um, straight in the middle sort of home invasion movie, but with aliens. So if you're into that sort of thing, I would uh, check this one out. Yeah, it was one of the ones I thought about watching uh, this. Yeah. The, since we last recorded, I went to two music festivals, uh, nice. so I didn't have a lot of time to. Yeah, it was a lot of fun, but I didn't have a lot of time to watch movies. Yep. Uh, 
So, you know, and there was nothing that really has come out where in the doldrums where it's like yeah. between between Oscar season and summer movies. So I think that's why this one's doing very well uh, is because not a lot has come out in theaters. So people are like, oh, what's on streaming this one? Let's watch it. Yeah, I think I think um, this month there's a lot of stuff coming out that I'm very excited for. Uh, one of them is uh, Lessons of Chemistry with Brie Larson. That was an adaptation of a book that I read uh, this year. Um, there's some other things. There's a bunch of things coming out this this month that I'm very, very excited for. Obviously, spooky season is upon us. Um, speaking of that, I watched Talk To Me. This was uh, this was hyped up a lot coming out of um, stuff like the, uh, I know Sundance, but also a lot of like, um, I don't know, there's a bunch of festivals <laughs> this debuted at. <laughs> it was hyped up at. Um, this is the Philippu Brothers uh, debut movie. They do, they're these... Um, Australian uh, duo that do a lot of like uh, crazy YouTube videos, uh, YouTube shorts uh, that were horror based. Um, this stars Sophie Wilde, Alexandra Jensen, Joe Bird, a bunch of like not maybe not first time uh, actors, but I've never really seen any of these people in anything. Um, With one exception. What's that? Miranda Ott's in this. Miranda Otto. Oh, yes, yes, yes. What has she been in? Is Lord she... of the Rings. Lord of the Rings. Yes, yes, yes. Gonna see what she was. Eowyn, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, no she man can kill me. She stabs the witch me. king in the face. Yeah. yeah. No man can kill me. I am no yeah. man. Yes. <laughs> yeah. She's also one of Sabrina's aunts in the most recent oh. um, Sabrina. Nice, nice, nice. Didn't I know that? Um, so it was hyped up too much, I think, for me. Like, a lot of things have been hyped up a lot recently. They've, li- they've lived up to that, that level of hype. I think this was put up there too much. Um, I think it was just, it had a very saggy middle and the and the last third kind of didn't do it for me um i think there are some very 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 uh realistic and very well done sort of prosthetics in this movie um it's it doesn't i don't know it's it's just a weird thing because there's so many annoying kids now (laughs) in these movies that are like 21 22 um that are just fucking annoying uh the premise is they are they have this haunted hand, this haunted like ceramic hand, and you have to grab it and you say, talk to me. You see a mm-hmm. uh, spirit in front of you. You say, let, I let you say, I let you in. So the thing possesses mm-hmm. them. And then the kids stand around filming it with their, with their fucking cell phones. They're like, oh shit, look, he's like bleeding from his nose. <laughs> his fucking earballs are falling. Blah, blah, blah. So it was that sort of thing. Um, that was sort of annoying. And then of course, uh, you're like, you know, you can only do it for 90 seconds. And then of course, somebody does it for longer. And then they, the, possession sticks and then they have to figure out how to get the thing out of them that's the rest of the movie um yeah i don't know it was just just very annoying people in the movie and not great not great third act um so i don't know i would i would still recommend it to, to people that want to watch that sort of thing but i i've sort of seen that stuff done quite a bit better recently okay i mean i i love that movie uh, I, I really yeah. thought it was done really well done. Um, yeah. I liked, I, I mean, I agree that a lot of the characters were annoying, yeah. uh, but they kind of <laughs> get what they deserve. Yes, I thought, true. So I, I dug that. I mean, the kid didn't really deserve it. You know, the kid that got possessed didn't really deserve it. Yeah, he kind of, yeah, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> he was, yeah, he probably didn't, but whatever. Yeah. Um, and then something else we both watched was the wonderful story of Henry Sugar this is mm-hmm. the um, one of the shorts that um, Wes Anderson has put on to Netflix this month. Um, they all sort of star the same people. They all star Benedict Cumberbatch, Dave Patel, Ralph Fiennes, Ben Kingsley, and Richard Iotti in different configurations. Um, these are all based on Ronald Dahl. Um, I'm imagining short stories. 
Um, so yeah, I, li- I like most of them. I think the wonderful short story of uh, Henry Sugar was obviously, you know, the title character, the title story, mm-hmm. the longest of, of all of them. So I sort of did very much enjoy that one the most. Uh, what did you think of all of these? Yeah, I, I generally liked these. I thought they were a lot of fun. I think that Wes Anderson uh, is a is a really good fit for adapting Roald Dahl. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I liked, I think that all of the, these actors who they've all pretty much worked with Anderson in the past is a really good fit. You know, I, I really dig his style of just kind of the the minimalists, uh, it, removing a lot of the artifice, and this that was taken up to the extreme here. And yeah. it reminded me of something I was I was actually uh, you know talked about earlier the event I was going to last night and I got to uh, see uh, Nicholas Meyer uh, the a director uh, screenwriter talking and he was talking about his movie Time After Time and he talks and he talks about a couple of things and he, one he talks about is the act, and it was a movie made in the seventies a time travel movie made for a very small budget uh, and he's and he talks about how he made the um, limitations a benefit and mm-hmm. I think that is something that Wes Anderson really leans into is because Meyer had a really good point where it's like, uh, when you're reading a book, you have to like, imagine something you have to feel it's there's, it's about the things that aren't there. You have to, you look at the words on the page and you imagine something when you hear music, it elicits certain emotion in you. And he's like, film is the only thing where it's like, you get all of it. You have the sound, the images and everything. He's like, he's like, that's why I like to leave a little bit out, you know, leave a little bit to wonder. And he talks about the time travel sequence. And he also talks about the Jack the Ripper murder scenes. And you just kind of, a, you don't see much, you know, yep. it's the exact, once again, the exact opposite of Saw. That's why I don't like Saw, you <laughs> see everything. And I don't, yeah. not grossed out by it, but it's just like, you got to leave a little something to the imagination. You know? Yes. And, and he's like, yeah, that's, that's why a Jack the Ripper, just, you you see him like cut someone's throat and just the blood splashes on him. And, and, you know, it's, that's way more terrifying than anything else. Yeah. Um, and I think that Wes Anderson is deliberately making this very much like a play where you are filling in all these spaces yourself. Um, And that, so I really enjoyed all that. I thought the performances by everyone were really great. It's, you know, fun and quirky, uh, like all Anderson stuff is. (laughs) Yeah. Quirksical. Yeah. 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 Um, Yeah. Yeah. I thought that like, you know, I'm a big Wes Anderson fan. I think um, I've seen all of his movies multiple times. Um, I thought there was like, like you said, the artifice sort of fell away and he sort of did very, very minimalist stuff So in his mm-hmm. style, but it's sort of very minimalist. I love these sort of parts where the guy, you know, I'm a big fan of, you know, Wes Anderson and also doing like long shots. So <laughs> this is like the, mm-hmm. the first part of this was very much in my bag um, of, you know, I think, was it Benedict Cumberbatch or was it somebody else who basically just standing in frame and the sort of play of it was happening around him where they would put like stuff in front of him and then have stuff, you know, happening behind him, but he was just sitting still. Um, I thought that stuff was very, very cool. Um, there was just a lot of stuff in here where somebody's, you know, in frame and they're telling you the story and nothing's really happening. You know, he's just sort of telling you the story and with stuff like that, like you said, you know, movies are moving images and you sort of use that medium to tell your story the best you can not show too much, not show, um, too little, but just show, you know, the right amount. Um, I thought the stuff where they were, there was one of them where he was like in a field, right? And he was just telling the story. And I think it was a swan mm-hmm. one, which is probably my least favorite because yeah. there was really nothing to look at. You know, I think uh, stuff with Wes Anderson is like, there's always something going on in the background, in the foreground, in the middle of it. There's stuff go- happening. And that one, that 
that specific one. I like most of them, but the Swan really had these moments where the guy was just talking, and you had, like you said, you had to use your imagination, which is cool. But I come to Wes Anderson movies for the grand spectacle. That that one really didn't work for mm-hmm. me. But um, yeah, the rest of the rest very much did. I think it was is a uh, very cool. Um, I don't call it experiment, but I do think this is sort of the best stuff you can do with the sort of streaming formats and streaming uh, era. And yeah, very, very cool. I, th- I think you should probably do more of the stuff. <laughs> I can imagine yeah. this probably didn't talk, take very long to make, probably didn't, what didn't cost very much. So uh, yeah, I was like to see more of this in the future. Yeah, I completely agree. You know, I think, like you said, the, you know, the streaming format allows you to do something like this that you would not be able to do in a movie theater. You want to be able to yeah. like, all right, I'm just going to make four shorts. Most of them are going to be 15 minutes long and I'm just going to put them out there, you know, yeah. like, that's not something you would be able to do with movies in the past. Um, you know, probably would not have been able to do that on TV either. Um, yeah. You know, it, so it was, it, yeah, you can just kind of play around with the format uh, with streaming. And I think that's one of the benefits that we've gotten from, you know, uh, this uh, new way that we consume uh, media. Yeah, I mean, there was probably stuff like this when you consider like the serials back in the day. Um, mm-hmm, yeah, they probably put those out in theaters that I, I would imagine weren't as long as they weren't all like 90 minutes. So, yeah, I mean, they, 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 they there is precedent for stuff like this being in a theater at a certain time in a certain yeah, place. Yeah, in but the country, not but for the last no. 60, 70 years. At least, yeah, at least. Yeah. Um, so let's see. So I think that's all about all we watched, listened to, and read this week um so why don't we uh well I had, there's one more that i watched uh for the first watch. time oh wow i watched oh the yes. B movie. <laughs> all right go ahead what'd you think of the b movie uh, the fucking deranged this is the most insane movie i've ever watched it's <laughs> it's it's like it things keep happening and you're like what what like the b is just starts talking and flirting with renee zellweger and yeah. she's like that's weird and then she, he sword fights a guy and then the bee sues the entire human race and then Ray Liotta shows up and you're like, what? Why is Ray Liotta here? <laughs> and then Sting shows up and you're like, I get it, Sting, ha ha ha. Yeah. And then he's just, Sting, it's yeah. so, mm. it's so weird, Damien. It's yeah. so, it's, it's like bizarre. It's, and it looks so bad too. <laughs> it came out in 2007 and it looks significantly worse than A Bug's Life, which came out in 1998. Yeah. Like, it, and it's it's like weird. It's weird, Damien. It's so I don't even know how to describe. And it's like the first two thirds of it are like very eat the rich. And you're like, yeah, and this is a bad movie, but cool. And then yeah. the last third is like, actually, you know, what's great capitalism. Go back to work. <laughs> like, you're like, what? I can't even. This movie wow. broke me. I had to talk about it. I fucking yeah. my friend at work, who's a fucking Gen Z, was like, you got to watch the B movie. <laughs> For the meat, she's for like the whatever. Lulz. Like for the memes, she's like lulz. watch it for the lulz. Like you watch Shrek, right? You're a millennial, and I was like, Shrek won an Oscar. <laughs> this is we didn't win. Fuck, I've seen that Oscar with my own two eyes. <laughs> I've seen Shrek's Oscar. I have a picture of it on my phone. <laughs> B movie's not winning shit. Shrek belongs in a museum. This belongs in a trash can. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Derange, absolutely insane, absolutely insane. Literally. Yeah, the memes behind this are I think are more famous and better, probably better than yeah. the movie itself. Yeah, honestly. I remember seeing like the script was used as like memes on 4chan and places like that. Um, I believe mm-hmm. somebody posted the entire movie as a GIF at one point. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's just yeah, 
one of the most insane movies ever made. I heard it was like <laughs> took a long time to be in, in production. I think this was like Jerry Seinfeld wanted to make this like ten years ago. Um, I think he wanted to make it right, right after he left Seinfeld, and this was what like ten years after Seinfeld ended or something like that. Something like that, yeah. Cause Seinfeld yeah. ended what like around two thousand, so ninety eight, yeah. ninety nine. I want to say. Okay. Let's see. Well, that is yeah. around two thousand, so. Yeah, uh, nineteen ninety-eight. Yep. Yep. Let's see. So, before we get to uh, top five Martin's Jewish Disney movies, let me take a break and take a piss, and uh, we will be right back after these messages. And we're back talking Martin Scorsese movies. Like we said at the top, the Killers of the Flower Moon coming out uh, October 20th. Like that was one of the the big ones. Uh, I was talking about October being huge, huge month, not just with horror, but also with we're starting to see starting to trickle in some of the movies that we'll probably be talking about for Best Picture and Best Director and all of that stuff. This is probably one of my most anticipated movies of the year. Uh, great director, obviously. Pretty good, <laughs> I would say. Um, yeah, what, yeah. Do, do, you remember the do, you la- do you remember the first movie, uh, Martin Scorsese movie you saw? I think it was The Departed. Was it I really? think, you know, yeah. me being like a 16-year-old, yeah. I was like, ooh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start watching like adult <laughs> movies now. Yeah. You know, like I can get yeah. into rated R movies by myself. And I think I went on a date. It's like one of my first dates. Yeah. Um, like I went like with a girl I ended up dating for like a while. And she was like, I don't like this movie. And I was like, oh, <laughs> great. <laughs> Not for me. And toots. Yeah, from then on. From then on. <laughs> did you just say not, not, not for, for me, me, sugar tits? <laughs> not for me, toots. Toots. Okay. Toots. Toots. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, from then on, I was like, I was bit by the Scorsese because I was a big Leo fan at the time. And I still am. Yeah. And I was like, oh, yeah, this gangster movie looks pretty good. And then from then on, I was like, oh, yeah. Marty, he's my guy. Yeah, I had, um, I think I, I probably saw like an edited TV version of Casino that because mm. Casino played all the time on TNT uh, growing up. Um, probably probably saw bits and pieces of that first. First one I remember sitting down and actually watching. Um, like you said, as a as a you know, let me start watching adult movies. I probably mm-hmm. look at his list here. Um, Goodfellas is probably the first one. I was like, okay, I'm gonna sit down. I want to purposely, you know, purchase or rent um, Goodfellas and watch that. That's probably the first one I said. I was like, okay, this is, you know, should have won. I've heard all the stories. Should have won Best Picture. You know, this was his mag- magnum opus at that time. Um, has things to do, like you said. It sounds like a gangster movie. It sounds like you know, uh, familiar themes as Godfather, and that was like you know. Back in the day, it was like, oh, Godfather is always on these lists of like best movies of all time. So let me start with, you know, a gangster movie by one of the greats. That was probably one of the first ones I watched. Um, like you said, Departed was always out there. Um, 2006, I would have been like 20, 21. So I probably saw that when it, when it came out. Um, it was probably one of the first ones I saw of his. And then I watched like Gangs of New York. I was like, oh, wow. He, he's very mm-hmm. interested in a wide range of different topics and, and timelines and period pieces. Um, what is like the biggest Martin Scorsese movie you haven't seen? Cause like I said, period pieces, he's, he's done like age of innocence. He's done last temptation of Christ. <clears throat> what would you say is the biggest Martin Scorsese movie you haven't seen yet? Yeah, I do have a few blind spots in his early career, 
Um, mean Streets, I would say, is probably my biggest blind spot. Um, uh, you know, that's that was obviously the one that kind of kickstarted both his and De Niro's career. Yep. Uh, so, you know, I yeah, there's a there's a few of them that I, I still need because he's got he's been working for like, what, 50 years uh, yeah. at this point. So, like, he's just had so much stuff. And I've, I've seen everything that's come out in theaters, um, you know, since The Departed, I think. Uh, or at least, you know, caught up on it. Um, but, and I have delved back into a lot of Zelda stuff, but he just has so many things yeah. that I try to miss a lot. The one that I want to watch the most that I haven't seen yet is Kundun. Um, I'm, yeah. I'm, as you'll probably see on this list, a big fan of his more religious stuff yeah. uh, rather than his gangster stuff. Uh, and I really want to see, you know, that's obviously for anyone who's not familiar with it, the his uh, biography of the current Dalai Lama. So I would love to check that one out. Yeah, I have a lot of early stuff to catch up on. Um, I did see mm-hmm. Main Streets. Uh, earliest one I haven't seen is King of Comedy. Um, I checked out After Hours recently. Um, checked out Color of Money recently. That was very, I think, the one I've watched most recently for the first time that I enjoyed the most probably Color, Color of Money. Uh, it's obviously the sequel mm-hmm. to uh, The Hustler with uh, Paul right. Newman. Um, you know, mm-hmm. teaching a young Tom Cruise uh, how to play pool. Um, haven't seen Temptation of Christ. Haven't seen New York stories. So a lot of stuff for the front in the A's that's on my blind spot list. Um, Kundun, like you said, I haven't seen. Uh, most recent one I haven't seen is Silence. That just seems like a slog, honestly. <laughs> one of those very, uh, you know, stuffy period pieces. Um, so yeah, let's, let's, so with that, let's get into our uh, list of top five Martin Scorsese movies. Uh, I'll start us out. Number five. I was I was struggling with this list because <laughs> there's a lot of stuff that's like, <laughs> you know, super popular, super popular with you know terrible people. People take the wrong messages from a lot of his movies because they involve you know antiheroes. They involve people, uh, main characters doing terrible things. Um, but my number five, which I took, you know, one of his earliest movies, 1980s Raging Bull. Um, Trying to see if that won. Should have looked this up, but I believe did uh did De Niro win anything for that movie? I'm trying to see, he must have, right? I don't know. Let's let's find out together. One of one of like five boxing <laughs> movies that came out that year, by the way, including Rocky Two. Yeah. Uh, there's there's about five boxing movies that came out that year, seventy nine, I think, right? Um. Yeah. And uh, uh yeah, Rocky Two. Oh, eighty. Uh, yeah. Rocky Two also came out that year, and one where. Uh, there was a comedy about someone who had to box a kangaroo. So <laughs> heavy, heavy, big boxing year. Yeah. So let's see. Yes, Mr. De Niro did win Best Actor for that role. You know, it's an early, early role. It's an early like example of somebody changing their body for the role. I can imagine before that there was a lot of prosthetics, um, a lot of stuff like that, a lot of, a lot of stuffing shirts <laughs> to make somebody look <laughs> look bigger yeah. than they were. But there's probably one of the first, one, probably one of the first versions or first examples of somebody, you know, transforming their body for a role, right? Yeah, it's. I think it, you know, it for better or worse, kind of set that that trend. Yeah. Know, De Niro gets a lot of respect, well deserved for this movie. I think his performance is incredible, and unlike some of the other ones, which I think get idolized, where people are like they idolize. Uh, a not great protagonist. I think it's handled really well in this film. And, yeah. you know, it shows Lamada being like kind of pathetic towards the end of his life and not redeemed, but you kind of, he's a bad person, but you understand him. Um, 
yeah, I, it's it's really fascinating film for sure. Yeah, yeah. So that that is my number five. What is your number five? My number five is yeah, it's the one where that started it off all for me. Uh, the Departed, the film which obviously finally uh, won Scorsese the best picture and best director, which he had not he had eluded for him for so long. Uh, you know, this is obviously a gangster crime movie, um, and I'll just spoil and say like I don't really have any of those on my list except for this one. Um, well, I guess maybe one, um, but it, it also deals with uh, the religious stuff and the Catholic guilt that Scorsese grew up with and just the way that crime and um, religion and law enforcement all kind of overlap. And it's like the way we're talking about with the hunger games, like, you know, the, yeah, there's the criminals out here, but the cops are just as bad just as dirty. And, you know, everyone is everyone in this movie is a rat. Everyone is well, undercover. Everyone is Scorsese or Scorsese. Uh, Wahlberg was kind of the guy at the, at the end there, right? That that wasn't correct. Yeah, but he, yeah, I guess he. But he he's the one guy. Yeah, he's he's not a rat. But I'm not saying they're. Well, I mean, everybody's pretty much. A lot of people are corrupt. But yeah, even yeah, Wahlberg. Yeah, even the only justice that's ever had in the movie is Wahlberg going outside of the law and being a vigilante, you know? So that just says that, you know, it's not even, he's not even the only, you know, and it's like, not like that's a great triumphant moment. Like even, you know, spoiler, when it happens, Matt Damon's like, okay, like, it's just like, yeah, (laughs) let's just fucking shoot him in the head. And it's not a triumphant moment. You're like, good. I'm glad that happened, but God damn it. And it's not through the law. It's not like, like everyone is a rat. Everyone is playing, you know, Billy's a rat and Damon's a rat. And um, even fucking Frank, who's the whole spends the whole time, you know, who's of course the, you know, the head, the evil like guy who's losing his fucking mind and is talking about how much he hates rats the whole movie. He's a, fu- you know, played of course by Jack Nicholson. He's yeah. a fucking FBI informant, you know, right. everyone's a rat. There's other rat. Like there's another rat in the crew that Leo doesn't even know about. And he's like, why did not like, they're all fucking two faced, just like, just, it's, it's just, you know, it's it's like the cops and criminals. It's all the fucking same, you know. Like it's it's such such a good movie. There's a lot of like you know, like it's subtext, but it's a pretty loud subtext about the religious stuff. Like when he smashes him in the face with the the picture of Jesus, you yeah. know, it's a, sure. such a good yeah. moment. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, let me see. I was trying to think if we should do like talk about this because i'm gonna talk about it later so i was wondering if we mm. should talk about it later or not um yeah i'll save i'll save my thoughts till later um and also i had questions so i forgot to ask before we started this um so when, huh. you, when you're making your list when you think about like best versus favorite like do you feel like your favorite scorsese movies are in line with some of his best some of his most crowd-pleasing stuff or do you feel like there's stuff that you considered to put on your list that necessarily some like that aren't being um that aren't held up as some of his best. I mean, my list is definitely very objective. My list is very, like I was alluding to earlier, I like a lot of his newer films a lot more than his older films. I'm a much bigger fan of his DiCaprio era than his De Niro era. Not that I dislike his De Niro era, because those are some of the best movies ever made um, for the most part. Uh, But, you know, like I... I have to go by my own, what I like, you know, what I, what speaks to me personally. Uh, and I think that, you know, look at any Scorsese movie, they're all going to be, you know, 
have objectively incredibly well made, directed by a master, usually great screenplays. So at this point, I think it has to be favorite. You know. Yeah the 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 floor for his movies are is pretty high. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Let's see what else was an issue. Like yeah the. Sort of crowd-pleasing stuff with the challenging stuff, like, you know, Silence is pretty challenging versus, like, Wolf of Wall Street is pretty crowd-pleasing. Mm. Dune, bringing out the dead versus The Departed. You know, he has a lot of stuff in his filmography that's like, wow, it's great, but it, like I said, probably a slog. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah, we're in, yeah. we're in spooky, being in spooky season, I was curious, uh, what's his scariest movie, do you think? I was going through the his list. scariest movie? Like, oh, Fear, it's going to be... It's it's you know what I'm I'll I'll tell you in a second because it's my number four. Oh, okay, all right, yeah. <laughs> we'll get there. So my number yeah. four is Goodfellas. Uh, I don't know, people probably think it's pretty low, but um, you know I've seen it a bunch of times. They did a podcast about this. They did a one minute uh, per episode podcast. I forget what those are called, like Goodfellas Minute. I think they called it. Oh, minute by minute podcast. Yeah, yeah. I listened to that. Um, you know, it is it is one of those best things that just on every list, <laughs> like in mm-hmm. the list of the best movies of the 20th century and best gangster movies and best Scorsese movies. Um, I just have it under four because it's 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 very long. It's you know you know those moments you know the beats so well that you're like okay I don't really need to I can just go back to my memory <laughs> of watching this movie yeah. if I want to like re- revisit it. Um, but yeah, there's just so many of those like Scorsese. Um, trademarks are in this movie, you know, people in a, in bars, uh, Joe Pesci, uh, you know, get your fucking shine box. There's so many just like, holy shit, that, that is, that is such that movie that is so De Niro, that's so Pacino, uh, you know, put, it put, uh, Ray, Ray Leo down the map. Was this the same year mm-hmm. as, um, Feel the Dreams? I believe it was, right? 92, right? I think so. Feel the Dreams was 89 and Goodfellas was oh, 90. Wow. So yeah, no, I was way off. Eighty nine to ninety, yeah, pretty pretty good uh, one two combo there for Leota. Um, mm. But yeah, I mean, there's really nothing that hasn't been said about this movie. Yeah. Uh, edited by Thelma Shoemaker, which I believe was one of her first times working uh, with Scorsese, which she would go on to be, you know, one of his big collaborators going forward. Um, you know, incredibly edited, great great music, great great use of music. This is probably one of the first times people saw Scorsese. Putting in, you know, uh, musical mm-hmm. drops into his movies was probably like, yeah. A, is this the first time he does "Sympathy for the Devil"? Because he been, uses yeah. that a lot. The end. Uh, he does use it a lot. Um, yeah. Is the end of uh, uh, the Clapton song. Um, what's the one I'm trying to think of? Lolita. Uh, not Lolita. Uh, what is? <laughs> what's the one he wrote about George Harrison's wife or whatever? Uh, Lola. Lola, thank you. Yes, Lola. The end of Lola, I think, is used at the end of this movie, right? Yeah. Um, so maybe I should watch this again. I'm forgetting so much of it. Um, but yeah, just one, one of the greats of all time. But, but I had to put it number four because I have other movies on the list that I just, I think I go back to more often just because, like you said, the new, I think I appreciate the newer ones more than the older ones. This is, this is getting up there, man. This is what, 33 years ago now that they came out? So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but also yeah, the, it's yep. yeah, it's you know, like you said, it's it's a great movie. It feels like really the culmination of the first part of his career. It's like all the hallmarks that you would get in his De Niro era kind of come to a head here. 
And, you know, the, the 90s kind of, he still has De Niro, but he's not, he's not the main character in this. It's more of a Leota's movie. And then, you know, you get some stuff like Kundun and stuff. And then, you know, starting in like the 2000s, you get, you kind of, De Niro, uh, DiCaprio kind of becomes his guy. Uh, yeah. So this does really feel like the culmination of that first part of his career. And I'm just going to, you know, spoilers for my, the rest of my list. This is not on my list. It, and it's not to say I don't love this movie. Yeah. There was just five movies that I want. And I almost put it on the list. And I was like, maybe I, because I got to put Goodfellas on the list. I was like, <laughs> you know what? I think there's just five or six maybe movies that I like more than I like Goodfellas. Yeah, true. Uh, what is your number four? So my number four is, and this is representative of the rest of my list is that I like when he is doing stuff that he is not well known for stuff. Like when he gets away from that gangster thing, yeah. uh, when he, cause he, you know, he perfected it with Goodfellas and let's do something else now. And this is the one that I think is his scariest movie of all time. It's very unsettling at least. And that is shutter Island. Oh, um, I love this movie. Really interesting psychological thriller. And it's one of those movies where you're like, what is happening? <laughs> like, you're kind of like the whole movie. And unfortunately, like the marketing of this was like all the marketing was like, there's a twist at the end. There's a crazy twist. And oh, so you're waiting yeah. for a twist to happen. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think that that doesn't lessen the impact of it. It is a, it's just this really sad, dark, scary thriller. Leo and Leo is just playing this character like he's you and you're like, what is happening? What is going on? This place is intense and amazing. Um, it's or not amazing in a good way. Like it's just like it's it's just you're you're so so on the ride with this character and you know Scorsese being a master of his craft. It's one of my favorite psychological thrillers. Uh, so I had to put it on my list. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just looking through the list here, like a lot of people that he never. Like the first time he worked with them, and then the only time. Did he work with Ben Kingsley before? I don't think so, right? Didn't work with Michelle Williams. Didn't work don't with, believe so, yeah. with Mark Ruffalo again. Yeah, this is a yeah. very, I'm just looking through the list in terms of like. Ted Levine, I think, is in it. He's yeah. uh, Buffalo Bills. The Yeah. Or, he has had a great speech where he's like, if there was nothing, uh, there was no social boundaries, and you were the <laughs> next thing that stood between me and my meal, I would. Her head until it became goo or whatever the fuck he says. You know? <laughs> John Carroll Lynch is in this movie. Just a lot of people he oh, wouldn't yeah. work with again. Elias uh, mm-hmm. uh, Codius. Uh, I'm sure I see oh, his yeah. name. Casey Jones. Casey Jones. Elias yes. Codius. <laughs> Next one sit out. Yeah, this is a very, mm-hmm. just looking through the, the cast list, this is a very odd John Carroll Haley. Very odd uh, group of folks he, he gathered for this movie, uh, you know, other than uh, Leo. Just. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Very strange that uh, I wonder if this is like casted. The casting director was different than his other movies. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah just very, very memorable. Very. Um, I think the other thing people don't appreciate about Scorsese as much as somebody like Spielberg is, he's very good at blocking scenes. And this is one of the best mm. blocked movies of that year or last ten years. Um, just this is just very. You look at any sort of um, freeze frame in that movie or any still shot of that movie, you're like, yeah, that, that's that movie. You can just tell just based on the, the costuming. The environments, the sets, uh, is very much, you know, Shutter Island looking. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, yeah, very cool. Um, let's see here. My number. Yeah, we're on three. Number three is Wolf of Wall Street. Um, this is, again, teaming up with Leo. Um, let's see what's exactly the stuff. Wolf of Wall Street. Um, 
2013. Uh, Three-hour movie. I think this, you know, Scorsese does that a lot, but it's definitely one of those movies that uh, moves very, very quickly. Um, some, again, incredible moments. I think just like with Spielberg, Scorsese has movies, and his movies have these moments that you're like, yes, the, the scene with, you know, uh, McConaughey, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> that scene, um, you know, the I'm not fucking leaving scene, um, Jonah Hill, one of his best roles from the first time we saw uh, Margot Robbie um, in a leading role. Um, John Trevor was in this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, just just incredible. Let's see what it got. Uh, DiCaprio won Best Actor uh, Musical or Comedy at the Golden Globes. Uh, was nominated for Best Picture there. Um, yeah, it is, it, you know, the stuff we're talking about now of like the um, dumb money stuff is very much coming mm-hmm. around when you're watching this movie now of like you know, people just um, doing the exploitative stuff that we're seeing more and more. I think we're, it's accelerating now with, um, you know, exploitative practices, not just by, you know, Wall Street, but Wall Street is now so entrenched in so many different industries. Um, you know, the movie making industry, video game industry. So many industries are now so short-sighted that, you know, crashes and mini crashes and mini recessions are just so fucking uh, frequent now. And I think this is really where it started, where you saw just these, you know, he's him selling these fucking penny stocks to people who had then just using, taking their money and just, you know, and spending it on shit and drugs and yeah. just boats and fucking everything. And this was, you know, took place in in the 80s so you can really go back and look at you know all the stuff that happened back then with the you know reagan administration breaking uh breaking unions and just this is the the, the 80s were really the beginning of you know what we're living through now uh, as as far as you know corruption and exploiting people's labor and trying to get short sales and all of this shit's really really the the, the you know it's a very interesting movie to think back on now and when stuff like dumb money, dumb money has come out and just see where a lot of this stuff came from. So, yeah, uh, it's it's a great film. I yeah, I considered putting it on my list for a second. Uh, really, just like you were hinting at is about just the kind of evils of capitalism and not just capitalism, but just kind of the specific kind of capitalism. That's just like all about more more greed, 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 just got to keep consuming, got to keep doing drugs, got to keep doing the biggest and best things and fucking over everyone else and just getting everything you can. And just the non stop greed of that. And, you know, I, you know, I think child Chandler uh, gives a incredible performance as the FBI agent who's going after him, who, you know, at the end, like Leo's like, you know, doing the, th- 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 with the one dollar bills and he as he's just kind of like trying to keep the straight line and he sees this and uh he's the one kind of noble person in this entire movie and everyone else is just like absolute garbage and he has to take the train home at night Uh, i think that's you know because it's like yeah like this is a terrible lifestyle this is a horrible thing and it's going to leave you empty and you're not going to have any everyone that you love is going to be gone um, but these people are still rich and uh, you're still going to be poor and it's the world's a fucking terrible place. And I just love that. <laughs> yeah. I forgot about, I was looking, I was looking at the Wikipedia article about it and I forgot that it was implicated in the one Malaysia development Bernhard corruption scandal. Remember this? Uh, the, the, no. funding, the funding of this movie was involved in like this corruption scandal. So the 
Malaysia Development Bernard Scandal, or also referred to as the 1MBDB scandal, um, was a corruption, bribery, and money laundering conspiracy in which Malaysian sovereign wealth fund, One Malaysia Development Bernard, was systematically embezzled, which with assets diverted globally by the perpetrators of the scheme. Although it began in Malaysia, the scandal's scope grew, uh, implicated institutions, individuals in politics, banking, and entertainment, led to criminal charges in a number of nations. So, yeah. Ironic. <laughs> yeah, very, very, very ironic. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that. Um, so that was my number three. What is your number three Martin Scorsese movie? Uh, my number three is Hugo, uh, which is, of course, the when Martin Scorsese decided to make a 3D kids movie about silent film and the malaise <laughs> of people coming back from World War One and trying to live their lives. And it's so good. Yeah. It's just like, I don't know, man, there's something special about it. It's just like, who would what? Like only Martin Scorsese would make a movie that that description. Like it's like one of the, it's like a great fun kids movie, but it's also like incredibly sad at times. It's like a you know about this orphan who's played by uh, Asa Butterfield, um, you know, and a young Chloe Grace Moretz is also in it. You oh Ben Kingsley is in this one, so he did come oh, back. Okay. Um, he's he plays George Millier, who is of course the fictionalized version of one of the original great directors uh guy who directed all these great silent films like from earth to the moon and it's just a real real love letter to the silent film era and about how it's this kind of this era that got forgotten and a lot of these people got forgotten um and one of my all-time favorite kids movies one of the weirdest kids movies i've ever seen um, I think it's like a kid's movie that maybe kids won't even like, like maybe just adults <laughs> will like this kid's movie. But yeah. um, one of my favorite 3D viewing experiences, like I've watched the movie many times since in theaters, but um, getting to see this movie in 3D was really cool. And it's the only time Scorsese has done a 3D movie. Yeah. And with just his, because it's not really his style, but with his eye, like just when there's this opening sequence that just, it's like a, you know, because Scorsese loves to open a movie where it's just one long shot, you know. Yeah, uh, which we've seen many times and just the way that it's going through this clock and all the different gears and you're following this kid running around the train station. It's it's a lot of fun. It's one of his funniest movies, I think. Um, so, yeah, I, I absolutely had to put Hugo on the list. Yeah, this is one I've seen just recently with like within the past like three years. Um, yeah, it does. What was the um, what was the movies that Spielberg made in like the early 2000s? That was like it was. um they they sort of switched positions for a while for that for those two movies we talked about recently. Um, let me look up Spielberg stuff here. Uh, and yeah, while you're looking, I also just yeah. want to shout out a a really really great score uh, in this film um, by I'm just double checking that I make sure I yeah Howard Shore yes. does this score oh, yeah. for this and it's it's really great. It is really great. Let me see. <laughs> Uh, they never have the stuff on here. The <laughs> filmography. It's always a separate page. Because I was looking it up because um, sorry about this. Um, but I had I had to look it up because I feel like didn't they switch positions for a second? AI. 
Oh, my minority report was, or no, Catch Me If You Can was going to be a Scorsese movie, right? Didn't they? Somebody want that? Okay, I mean, I I've not heard that, uh, but that makes sense. I mean, I I could see it yeah. would be a different movie. It would be a very different movie. Yeah, it's 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 very Spielberg with the playfulness and what he has divorced parents you know it's like <laughs> true true yeah <laughs> never so, seen yeah. that in a spielberg movie before yeah this feels like the only like spielberg movie that um Grisazzi directed you know there's nothing really else in his yeah. filmography like i was saying there's very there there are some there's some movies in his filmography that you're like what was that why that <laughs> at that time um another tangent i want to go on is because of george mm-hmm. you mentioned george Malay and and Somebody had a TikTok the other day of like, how far back can you go and be able to keep up with the production of media? They were talking about like books, how like in the 1500s, if you were affluent enough and well connected enough, could you read every book published every year at a certain time? So they did the, like, you know, 1500s to 1530, whatever they, they went, went through and told and said how many were released that year. And I was thinking about it in terms of like movies, like if you were a well-connected affluent person in the like 1920s, like in New York, and you could go to Paris and watch movies being put out there, how far back could you go and still watch every movie that came out in that year? I thought that was a interesting thought, thought exercise. Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Yeah. Uh, so that was your number three was Hugo. Mm-hmm. Into the top two here, my number two uh, Scorsese movie is The Irishman. Um, watch this when it oh. came out. Yeah, I watched this when it came out uh, on Netflix, one of his first movies that came out on Netflix. Obviously, it came out during the pandemic. Um, mm. So, yeah, I really, 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 really liked it when it, when I watched it, uh, you know, the first time I've seen it a couple times since then. And uh, it's really stuck with me. I think this is, uh, I think we're going to look back on his career after he's done and be like, yeah, this is one of his, one of, if not his big magnum opus, his big ta-da, his big um, send-off to a lot of his characters, a lot of his sort of thesis that has run through a lot of his movies. Um, some of the best performances I've seen out of those guys, out of De Niro, and especially Joe Pesci's best, probably his best performance in any movie is in this movie, is in The, is in the Irishman. So not, not, not too much to say about it, uh, but it is really, really impressive. I, I do have to point out when I watched this movie the first time, you can, one of the first uh, movies I saw when, we were, when I was doing the podcast early on, and I came on and I was like, yeah, there's just some, there's some parts in this movie where it's like, yeah, they're clearly um, when he's like in the in the 20s and 30s, uh, not the years, but he was like, well, you know, 20 or 30 years. So De Niro is supposed to be playing like a 33 year old at the beginning of the movie. Yeah. And he, he does not move like a 33 year old. Um, no. For the most part, isn't a problem. But there's one part where his son or daughter gets like um, slapped for trying to steal a candy bar or whatever. So he goes to the store, drags the guy out of the door, through the door, out into the onto the curb and starts, you know, kicking him uh, on the curb. And he, and he, uh, he kicks like an old man. <laughs> Kids just like, yeah. just stomping like real old. It's like, ugh, ugh, ugh. and just, yeah, just that, that did yeah. not look great. But um, yeah, overall, just one of, like I said, one of the best performances by De Niro. Um, one of the, you know, one of the two, two or three, was it, wasn't De Niro and Pacino in, what was that movie until like 2007, 2008 called like Righteous Kill or something like that, right? I don't know. <laughs> I think there was. Called. I don't remember that one. It was it was billed as like De Niro Pacino again after Heat. I mean, they were in Heat, yeah, yeah, Heat. Uh, Righteous Kill came out in two thousand eight, directed by John 
Avnet. Never heard of him. Never heard a lot of these people in there. So, yeah, third. Okay, so you know the Irishman. Third time they've they've teamed up. Um, just just incredible. I think Anna Peckman's in this. She does incredible work. Just people oh, yeah. were complaining. Yeah, people good. were complaining about like her not having agency and not having enough lines. But I think that's the point of it. Just like she doesn't want anything to do with him anymore. She doesn't want anything to do with his his lifestyle of his work. So I think that really worked for mm-hmm. for the character, and she I think she played it very well. Um, yeah, incredible, incredible movie. Yeah, yes. I mean, I, yeah, I don't hate this one. For me, this one was kind of what you were talking about, where it's, it was felt like a little bit of a slog, and it felt a little bit like De Niro going back or um, Scorsese going back to his his older days. Um, so I haven't yes. rewatched it since. This one's like four <laughs> hours long. Yeah, like, it's like Fair four long. and a half hours long or something like that. Yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. Uh, so one of the movies I like I turn on. I, I remember I remember like I would like watch it and then I'd pause it. And I was like, oh my god, I must have watched like an hour of that. And then it was like fifteen minutes. I was like, oh, I still have three hours left. Oh. <laughs> but it's not a bad movie. But it's not no. a bad movie. But yeah, it was well, tough for me to get through. Let me. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna go to the bathroom real quick. Why don't you talk about your number okay. two Martin Scorsese movie? Okay. So yeah, my number two Martin Scorsese movie is Gangs of New York. Um, this one is one that I had really wanted to see for quite a while. Uh, this is kind of, I feel like, Scorsese's lost mo- uh, um, magnum opus. Um, it's a historical epic uh, that is just chronicling the lives of, you know, uh, the Leonardo DiCaprio character. Um, and it touch. it feels like he would return. It's he would return to some of the themes uh, the same things in The Departed, but I felt like, and you know, they're obviously handled well there, but this is where they really were like hit for me, um, being set right at the after the Civil War, um, just kind of the fallout of all that. This this great story of revenge. You've got DiCaprio giving a great performance. Then you've got the only time that I'm aware of that he ever worked with Daniel Day Lewis, just giving this insane performance as the butcher bill the butcher you know he's so (laughs) so he's so fucking good in it um so honestly just like i said magnope this is scorsese's magnum opus as far as i'm concerned a great historical just sweeping violent great movie that you know builds up to this climactic the ending is so perfect where it's building up to be this huge final battle and then it's like no, none of this shit that you guys have been spending the last two and a half hours worried about fucking matters at all. You have not been paying attention to the, all the things that have been happening around the world. This fight that you brought from the old old world of your fathers and grandfathers does not matter because the country that you're in right now, as I think I said, it was post world uh, post civil war. It's actually during the civil war, but it is ha- and that is all happening in the background, and they do not pay attention to it all until it literally starts exploding in their face. I fucking love yeah. Gangs of New York. Yeah, I, I this is one of those I have to revisit because I think I only seen it once when it first came out, um, and I've heard you know, like you said, everything you said <laughs> about it. <laughs> um, yeah, one of the first times, or only time he worked with uh, Daniel Day Lewis on this. Um, you know, Day Lewis is no uh, rookie to the period piece. Obviously, did there will be blood, Last of Mohicans. Uh, there's a lot of wow. I'm just looking through his filmography. I'm like, wow. There's a lot of Almost no uh, contemporary movies here. Uh, let's see. Yeah. The Crucible, Gains of New York, 
Age of Innocence, Mohicans, My Left Foot. Uh, what else? Unbearable, unbearable lightness of being. I just read that book this year. Uh, what was the be... PTA one he was in where he was like a fashion designer? That Phantom was a thread. Dick. <laughs> Phantom <laughs> Thread. He was I think that's the most recent thing he was in. That set in like the 40s or 50s or something. Yeah, Reynolds Woodcock. He plays. Um, was obviously uh, Lincoln in yes. Lincoln. <laughs> yeah, I, has he never been in a contemporary movie? Huh. Wow, I did not is realize. It, is that. my left? Well, the boxer is contemporary, right? The boxer. Let's see. I think that yeah. one came out in the eighties and it's set in the eighties. I let's might be wrong see. about that. It it's about be. like Belfast yeah. and the IRA. True, true, true. Jim Sheridan movie. Um, yeah, I think it might be right. Yes. I'm trying to see, it doesn't say exactly when, but yeah, that might be the only one. Wow, that's an interesting uh, factoid there. Uh, how many <laughs> how many movies has Dennis Day Lewis been in that's taken place in modern day? <laughs> huh. Anyways, so yeah, definitely got to revisit revisit that. Um, but if I did, I think they did this in the rewatchables recently, and they were like, "Yeah, this is the only weak part of that movie is Cameron Diaz," and I would I would probably yeah say yeah. that as well. She's yeah. not she's not great in it. She's not great in it. Yeah. All yeah. right. So that was your number two. My number one. Number one spot. Number one spot. Scorsese movie. You mentioned it already. Uh, it is The Departed. I had to go with the crowd pleasing, the most rewatchable. I've, I've watched this movie probably more than any other um, Scorsese movie. Um, they, did this, they did this on the rewatchables recently because um, it is very, very extraordinarily rewatchable because you're just mm -hmm. watching those performances. One of the last, probably the last um, Nicholson performance, right? Before he, he sort of retired. Yeah. It's, it's towards the end there. I don't remember when About Schmidt was, but... Yeah, I think that was before, like 2002, I want to say. Okay. Let's see. Um, Nicholson. Why do, they, why do they put filmographies on different pages on the Wikipedias? That makes no sense. Uh, let's see. So, Nick, Mr. Jackalus? Jackalus? Jack Jackalus. <laughs> so, he did um, About Schmidt 2002, nailed it. Uh, Anchor Management 2003. So 2003 was also somebody's going to give. Departed was 06. Bucket, buck, the Bucket List was 2007. Last movie he did was called How Do You Know? Stars Owen Wilson, mm -hmm. Reese Witherspoon, and uh, Paul Rudd. So there's that. First by James Brooks, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, let's see. Departed. Obviously. The fucking Departed. The, departed. the fucking Departed. The thing I always Boston. The thing I always take away from this movie, especially from Nicholson's performance, is like he does a Boston accent like once in the movie or really like <laughs> leans into it. And I'm wondering if I had like one question to ask him or Scorsese or anybody that works on the movie, I'd be interested to know if they filmed the part where they're talking about putting the body in the mosh, like the, the body's found later by the cops. And Nicholson says, like, when I tell you to put a body, in the fucking mosh, put the body in the fucking mosh. And that was the only time he uses the accent. I'm wondering if if uh, Scorsese was like, "No, we're gonna that's you can do that one time, and then we're gonna not do that ever again." <laughs> it's like like Sam Neill in Jurassic Park. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A lot of those guys have weird like weird accents. Um, but yeah, but very interested to know because he doesn't really like. Am I imagining it, or he doesn't really do the Boston accent? In that movie. No, right? I never picked up on it. He yeah. doesn't really seem like he's leaning into any accent. DiCaprio he's is obviously like Jack. 
Yeah, I met uh, yeah. Damon's from Boston. Damon's Wahlberg. from Boston. Yeah, Wahlberg from Boston. Martin Sheen. I know he seems like a uh, uh, Boston Catholic guy because he definitely puts yeah. on the stink. I on think there. he's yeah. Actually, uh, Martin Sheen was born in Dayton, Ohio, in 1940. Interesting. Um, huh. I didn't know that. <laughs> Did he grow up there? Um, let's see. Do, do, do. When he was 11, raises it, raises he's raised as a Catholic. Yeah, he just seems he, he has that like <laughs> Catholic yeah. guilt look to him, right? Right. Uh, one of the first times I saw Vera Farmiga in anything, uh, I thought mm -hmm. uh, Alec Baldwin was very good in this. Ray Winstone, obviously. Yeah, it's so fucking uh, fascinating and re and so fucking rewatchable because. You know, you're just watching so many moments from this movie. Um, I did go back and watch uh, Infernal Affairs, the movie that this is based on, mm. and it's it's basically. I need to see that still. Yeah. Yeah, it's very good, but it's interesting because uh, Departed is basically a shot for shot remake of that movie. So, you know, it's one of those things where you're like, Scorsese deserved the the best director award before this. He just he just did. And it's not like I said, it's my favorite movie of his. It's the, it's the most rewatchable. But if I had to like be you know, objective about it. it's probably not his the movie he should have won it for right he should have won it before this for sure he should have yeah. won it for like goodfellas or something for sure right but it's probably you know if you had to pick another one this would probably would this be the one you would you would go for or is there another one i mean this is i like you said this is kind of the most crowd pleasery rewatchable yeah. movie that it's it's you know it's the only one that was in both of our lists yeah um so makes sense yeah yeah, definitely does. All right, so that's my number one. What is your number one favorite Martin Scorsese movie? Well, my number one Scorsese movie is one that you haven't seen. And I know you haven't seen because you just said you hadn't seen it when we were talking about it earlier. Yes. yes. Uh, and that is, you know, this is should come as no surprise to anybody who's been listening to what I've been saying about how much I love Scorsese touching on religious themes and Catholic guilt. Oh. My number one is Silence. Wow. I this movie to me is not a slog. This movie to me. All right. Um, I don't know. Maybe like I could see this being a tough watch because this is. This is a movie that really deals with, you know, the crises of faith that Scorsese has dealt with and that so many people have dealt with and that just what it feels like growing up in this uh, in, in any religion, you know, like his like his religious stuff, I said, is so so fascinating and it's uh for anybody's not aware it's a story of this these two catholic priests um who go to japan um when japan is as you know catholics did they were trying to go and convert everything and that was not great uh but then japan did not have a great reaction to that either they were like let's murder all the christians and uh you know and then it, it's it's really fascinating because garfield who i'm I, I wasn't a huge fan of before I saw him in this. And then after that, my opinion of it was completely changed. He gives a phenomenal performance. He's, you know, searching for his, his old, um, you know, this old teacher played by um, uh, Liam Neeson. And, uh, you know, he's him and, um, you know, Kylo Ren, uh, Adam Driver <laughs> go to Japan and, you know, they kind of almost want to be martyrs. Like that's yeah. kind of the ultimate thing for them. And they're faced with rather than uh, the chance to achieve martyrdom, they they have to 
they have like this kind of ultimate crisis of faith where they have to decide whether or not they want to renounce their religion in order to save Christian lives. And so they, it's because the Japanese realize, well, these people want to be martyrs. So we're not going to give that to them. And the way that it deals with all these really complex, deep uh, religious themes is, is really, really well handled in a way that I think very few filmmakers could even attempt. Um, it's, also just immaculately shot like this is one of the best looking movies you will ever see um it is just a it is it is hard i wouldn't say it's a slog but it is hard to watch um you know this is a a very difficult movie with difficult subject matter at times um but as someone who you know has had my own ups and downs with beliefs and faith and things like that um and trying to figure out you know uh you know what i believe or what i don't believe or anything like that it's it's really really good and i think that anyone who is interested at all in you know in the, in the same way that i really like dogma kevin smith's dogma i think that was a really in a much different way an interesting look at religion and organized religion and catholicism this is uh it's a lot of the same um same uh same points in my nervous system yeah very cool um yeah definitely gotta check it out um let's see it's not streaming anywhere but it's one of those you gotta rent so uh yeah that's the newest one on my watch list so i would definitely be checking that out yeah so that is our top five uh march christmas films i had put down or wrote down all of the ones i've seen put them down in a specific order uh put down ones that i haven't seen at the very bottom uh, my number six, right out of the top five. Can you guess which one is sitting right outside of my top five? Uh, I'm going to guess Taxi Driver. Ding, ding, ding. Bingo, bingo. Ha, cha, uh. Yeah, got it. Taxi Driver is my number six. Shutter Island, right outside of my top five, is number seven. Casino. Nice. I watch Casino a lot, and I was, mm. <laughs> I was thinking about this. I was like, this is a pretty good movie. I think I enjoyed that more than Goodfellas, <laughs> but I was just like one of those... I can't. I can't do that. Physically, can't. Do that. <laughs> uh, number nine is Gangs of New York. Number ten is The Color of Money. Number eleven is Cape Fear. Number twelve is The Aviator. None of us mentioned that one. I think. Yeah. I think I might put that higher. I think that's a very, very rewatchable movie just based on the performance by Kate Blanchett. Obviously, uh, really incredible, like breaking breakdown that Leo gives of Howard Hughes in that movie. Uh, the Last Waltz is a movie they've been talking a lot about on uh, Film Spotting this week or last week because of um, the re-release of the Talking Heads. Uh, uh, stop making sense. They were talking about their top five favorite. Um, what's it called? Like documentaries, uh, uh, music, music mm-hmm. docs. Uh, number fifteen is After Hours, one of the most recent ones I've seen of his. I've seen a lot of love for that recently. Somebody called it a perfect movie. I wouldn't say that, but it is. It's one of those. It's a very 80s one crazy night type movie. Um, have you seen After Hours? Curious. Uh, no, that was that, that was the uh, yeah, one of the ones that I I think that I said that was the big one that I hadn't oh, seen. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, yeah. Age of So last uh, four I have not seen. I've not seen Age of Innocence, Silence, Kundun or The Last Temptation of Christ. Um, what is your what is sitting outside your top five? Yeah, uh, so, you know, like I said, Wolf of Wall Street was was definitely uh, hanging outside my top five, uh, you know, like six or seven. Um, I would say also The Aviator. I'm a really big fan of that. Uh, I think Leo, like you mentioned, is 
is absolutely uh, phenomenal in that. Goodfellas, I also uh, definitely got a shout out as being, you know, if I had had, you know, if it had been a top six or seven, Goodfellas would have been in it. And then uh, Raging Bull as well. Gotcha, gotcha. Very cool. All right, so that is our top five. March oh, no, I said, you know, sorry, I'm sorry. I did say Mean Streets was the one I <laughs> hadn't seen. After Hours, I also haven't seen. So, uh, sorry about that. Yeah, uh, did I? Okay, yeah, I put Mean Streets out there. Yep, number 13. Yeah, so that was our top five uh, March Good Season movies. Yeah. If you agree or disagree, write into Can I Say Something Podcast at gmail.com. Now is the time of the show where we do the letterbox Shuffle. My movie mm-hmm. on there has not been seen by me. I did... Looked at it, and I was like, that's not a movie I want to watch. So I didn't. Uh, yeah, <laughs> so, same thing kind of happened with me, because yeah. I was like, I, like I said, I didn't have a lot of time to watch movies this week. And I was like, yeah. I don't have time to sit down and watch this two-hour-plus sad movie about Voldemort being a gardener. <laughs> or whatever it is. I don't I even have know. a few things on here that I'm very interested to watch. I have many things on here from this year. Pinball, Ministry of the Game, Paint. Um, I have Passages. I have quite a, new, quite a few new things on here. So it'll be very, very interesting to see what I get. I'm going to go by services, um, my services available to stream, which is just interesting. I think it's a good way to do it, actually. Uh, so I think the way they used to do it was they had it, you know, available to stream. And then you click on it, it's like, no, it's actually $9 to, to rent. <laughs> so I'm going to sort, sort by stream a bowl. I'm going to sh- hit shuffle and I get fire in the sky. I think I had this. <laughs> I think it's a is that the walk. <laughs> is that the walk in one or no, uh, this is no? about okay. a abduction, uh, an alien abduction movie with, well, yeah, uh, there's an walk in alien abduction movie. It's not that one though, right? No, this has DB Sweeney, okay. um, Robert Patrick, Craig Schaefer, Peter Berg, and actually has Henry Thomas. So, Second time Henry Thomas was in a uh, an ET movie, which is interesting. Okay. Yep. So I'll be checking that out. Hopefully for next time. <laughs> Derek, sh- go to your uh, watch right. list. Go to streamed streamable movies. Yeah, I got that. Yeah, or my services. I got my it services, on. Yep. And uh, I'm gonna hit shuffle. Yep. And do. Ooh, okay, cool. Uh, Park Chan Wook, uh, one that I've been wanting to watch for a minute. Lady Vengeance, or also Lady. known as Sympathy for Lady Vengeance. Yes, yes, yes. They just did a Park Chan Wook um, marathon or deep dive into Park Chan Wook's stuff. That's where they talked about um, Little Drummer Girl on the Bunny Check podcast just recently. So, yeah, it'd be a good one. I think I like. Um, I, I, I do remember enjoying that movie. Uh, what else did he do? Little sympathy for Lady Vengeance. Um, he did Old Boy, of course. Yeah, of course. It's probably his yes. most famous one. Um, and then recently he did um, um, Decision to Leave, which was on my top 10 of the year list last year. Yes, I've seen, I've seen, I went back and watched a lot of his stuff. One thing of his I haven't seen is Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance, uh, Joint Security Area, which was an early 2001s. Uh, I have not seen I'm a Cyborg, but that's okay. Uh, from 2006, but I guess I've seen most of his stuff, except for uh, I gotta see Little Drummer Girl, the stuff he did for the BBC. All right, so with that, we'll do our plugs. Let's see. So I, uh, with the um, the Hooptober, I signed up for that for that event, and a lot of people uh, came into my list and were like, "Oh, nice list! I'll follow. I'll also give you a follow." So I am right nice. now. 
Yeah, right now, let's see what the official total is. I was three away when I last looked. Now I'm two away. I am two oh, away. I'm two away close. from 100 followers. Guys, go to B underscore four underscore Benedetta. Go there. Follow me. Get me to 100. <laughs> 100 <laughs> followers. Uh, go to Film SES on YouTube. Go to Spotify for podcasters to make a podcast. Uh, check out my interview with, with Cinematech, BR Jaeger, and check out all the stuff me and Deanne did earlier this year, breaking down all of season four of Succession and The Bear season two. Derek, what do you have to plug? Yeah, I got to plug my podcast, Underrated, where we took take a look at underrated movies. Uh, you were just on it recently, uh, but now we are in spooky season, so we've got Woo! a bunch of spooky episodes Woo! coming up. I had already mentioned next week or two weeks from now, going to be talking about Deadstream. For Halloween, I'm going to be talking about Burnt Offerings, a 70s uh, movie uh, with Matt from the Matt and Mark Movie Show. But then today, this one, the one that is out now, I talked about Sinister. Um, so go check that out. Uh, you know, that's one of my, you know, it's it's not a found footage movie, but it's got found footage in it. Uh, mm. Someone in it finds the footage. Uh, one of my yes. favorite horror movies from the last decade or so um, is Sinister. So had a lot of fun talking about that one. Nice, very cool. The um, yeah, somebody finding a found a found footage or somebody finding <laughs> found footage and watching yeah. it is the premise of the uh, the VHS series. I don't know if you've checked those out. Okay, I have not, but I know that um, some pe- the people who worked on um, uh, uh, Deadstream worked on some of that stuff. So yes, yes, they did. Um, yeah, so check all that stuff out. So for can I say something? I've been Damien, and I've been Derek. I'll see you next time. Bye bye. Bye.